Hello and welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 207A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero for Montero on Boxing. And tonight, it's going to be a heated show, all right? We got a lot to talk about, guys, a lot to discuss. Uh, from everything from Javante Davis's viral video, putting his hands on a woman, to the New York State Athletic Commission getting crazy and overreacting to Ivan Redcatch. There's just so much going on. So before I get into the news and notes, I want to remind you guys that uh, we are a call-in show now. We'll open up the phone lines in a few minutes. The number to call is right there on the screen behind me, 213-267-7787. For those of you watching live on YouTube, the chat is still open, man. So go ahead and just go away in the chat or uh, go away. Uh, go at it in the chat. What am I saying? Don't go away. Go at it in the chat. And if you have a question, uh, you can super chat there on YouTube or else call in. All right. So we'll open up the phone lines in a minute. As always, the best thing you could do to help me out is spread the word about the show. Okay. Uh, right now, guys, uh, we need some more YouTube subscribers. I know a lot of you guys are watching the show and I, I, you guys message me a lot and say, man, how am I unsubscribed from you? How are the notifications turned off? I didn't even get the damn notification. Oh, my God. Always, every week, check. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you got the notification bells on because for whatever reason, YouTube runs these new algorithms and everything, and they like to unsubscribe people. I don't get it, but that's what they do. So make sure and check that you're subscribed and you click the bell for notifications so you know the second the show comes on, all right? Um, also, Twitter. If you guys are on Twitter, make sure you follow me. My goal this year is to get my Twitter to 10,000. We're pretty close, but I'm trying to get that thing up over 10,000. So make sure that you're following me on Twitter. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever it is, make sure that you're following, subscribing, liking, dropping a rating, all that good stuff. That is what helps me the most. A lot of you guys out there love listening to the show, love watching the show, and I love you for doing that but not all of you are subscribed. Why? How do I know this? Because I can run the analytics reports. I can see thousands of you watching on all these different platforms and you're not liking the videos. You're not subscribing. You're not tweeting it out. So please help me out. Spread the word. All right, guys, let's get into, I, I want to get right into this situation with Javante Davis. So if you're watching the show, that means you're a boxing diehard. It means you already know that Javante Davis put his hands on a woman. And there's a video of it. Oh, Jim Lampley. Oh, Jim, you didn't need to comment like that. Jim, that was inappropriate. It wasn't hitting. It wasn't bang, bang. But Javante Davis put his hands around a woman's neck. I guess this is the, this is the mother of his child. Lifted her up, pushed her out of an arena. I think there was hundreds of people there. It was I don't know if it was a Super Bowl party or what was going on, but it was in public in front of everyone. Anyone could see this. It wasn't a private moment or anything like that. So this video went viral. Javante Davis, his name was trending. This was not a good week. It looks like he's disabled, I think it's Twitter account or maybe it's the Instagram. He's wiped them or disabled them, whatever it is. It just got off social media. So clearly, Leonard Ellerby picked up the phone and said, dude, what are you doing? Get off of social. Because he, he posted some response. It might have been on Instagram or something like that. Uh, where he said, hey, I didn't hit her. Come on, it wasn't that bad. That's basically what he was saying. And so he's off social right now. I, would I like to hear a statement from Floyd Mayweather 
and Mayweather Promotions, Leonard Ellerby, even Steven Espinoza and Showtime and all those guys that love to act woke and say certain things when it benefits them and get silent in situations like this. Would I love to hear a statement from them? Yes, I would. Do I expect it? No. So, Gervonta Davis also has a history here, right? He's been arrested for assault before. There's a history there. He's been accused of assault multiple times, male and female. So, this is a guy with a history. And then he's had issues in boxing as well, being unprofessional, not making weight for fights. Those things are not linked to the abuse situation. I'm just saying, there's plenty of links in a chain here, okay? So, I'm not surprised that this video trended and that Gervonta Davis's name trended. Now, what I have seen that sadly, sadly doesn't surprise me, but still disappoints me, is that there are people on social media defending this shit, just outright defending it, finding ways, doing all these mental gymnastics to defend this behavior. And let me be clear about something. Fellas, it is never okay to put your hands on a woman like that. Unless it's a self-defense situation or something like that. Ladies, it is never okay for you to put your hands on a man like that. Never. Okay? Unless it's a self-defense situation. End of story. That's it. There is no, well, gray area. No. It's just no. You don't do it. There's no defending this. Although, there are people out there defending this. It, it, that sickens me and pisses me off. But what pisses me off worse is that there are YouTubers, there are Facebook boxing chat rooms and, and, and popular Twitter profiles related to boxing out there trying to do this whataboutism. For those of you who don't know what a whataboutism is, look it up. Okay, it's kind of a new term or whatever, but actually it's not that new of a term. But it's, it's basically without getting into all the details, it's, it's comparing two things. It's a false equivalency. How about that? In this situation, there's a bunch of people saying, well, what about Kovalev? What about Sergei Kovalev? He put his hands on a woman too. Supposedly, he was accused of that. There's no evidence. It hasn't been proven in court yet because he's going to go to court. He's going to have his day in court. And so there's a bunch of people out there playing the what aboutism game and trying to bring up Sergei Kovalev's name is a means to justify what Javante Davis did. And then there's some people taking it further than that in saying, well, man, when Sergey Kovalev did whatever he was accused of doing last year, which again, he's going to have his day in court. It was delayed, but he will have his day in court in California later this year, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I believe it's later this year. Um, why didn't that trend? Why didn't when Sergey Kovalev apparently put his hands on a woman, why didn't that trend? Why wasn't his name trending on social media? It must be because of fill in the blank. And people are using all sorts of different reasons. It's the typical bullshit. It's the divisive identity politics game, right? And there are people particularly on YouTube doing this. I've seen some of the videos, the titles of the videos. I can't really watch more than 30 seconds because they're so bad. That try to get into this. And it's so obvious what these people are trying to do. They are trying to divide human beings they are trying to create division between people boxing fans mostly because that's why we're all here in attempts to profit financially they're profiting off of gullible sheep-like ignorant people that want their confirmation bias fed now there's a lot of things i see 
in boxing media that drive me nuts. Last week, for example, there were suddenly every boxing channel was making videos about Kobe Bryant. Every boxing podcast was dedicated to Kobe Bryant. Now, it's one thing if you want to give your quick thoughts, but there were some podcasts and some shows that were doing an entire episode about Kobe Bryant. Meanwhile, they're a boxing channel, making sure they put Kobe Bryant in their tags, in the title, in the description, because that helps them in the search engine, gets more clicks. And I checked on a few of them, and I, real, I, I saw that a few of them had record ratings that week. Funny how that shit works. I saw some people taking old videos they had with Kobe Bryant, old interviews, and reposting it. And hashtagging the, ha- tagging the hell out of it, monetizing it, of course, profiting off the death of somebody before he was even buried yet. Now, is that shit sleazy? Yeah. Does it happen all the time? What do I call it? Clickbait. Do I hate clickbait? Of course. But I think it's sleazy. I think it's unethical. It doesn't necessarily make the people that are doing it bad people. I just don't agree with their method, their style. And what they're doing. I wouldn't do it that way. Okay. Doesn't necessarily make them bad people though. But let me be clear about something. Let me make sure I'm looking right into the camera when I say this. If you're one of these people that routinely looks for wedge issues and tries to create false equivalencies and creates conspiracy theories, race baiting, gender baiting, whatever it is, purposely misleading gullible sheep-like people that need to have that confirmation bias fed for your financial gain, you are a bag of shit. You're a terrible person. You're what's wrong with society. You're what's wrong with the media right now. This is, this is a microcosm of the entire media. The problem with all of media, not just sports, not just boxing. You are a problem. You are the problem. I don't think there's anything that's going to redeem you. You're a bag of shit. And I hope you die of syphilis and rotten hell. Could I make that any more clear? The reason why it's a false equivalency to compare Tank Davis's viral video this weekend to what happened with Sergei Kovalev is because there's no video of what happened with Sergei Kovalev. It's a person accusing him, a person with a very checkered past accusing him of something. There's no video. That's why it didn't go viral. There's nothing to go viral. You're comparing two things that don't compare. It's disingenuous. If you want to compare something that's similar, not the same, not the exact same, but similar to the Javante Davis situation, let's bring up Kubrat Pulev. Remember what happened with him last year? Kubrat Pulev. He's, he has a one-on-one video, uh, interview, I should say, with uh, really a no-name in the industry. Nobody knew who this girl was before. She disappeared after. But he had an interview with this girl, whom he had a history with. Members of his team had a history with. And some of that video and information came out subsequent to the whole fiasco. But during the interview, which wasn't in a big crowded place, it was in a small space where there weren't many people around, he, like an idiot, kissed her unprovoked with a camera right in front of him. It was a stupid move and a blunder by Kubrat Pulev. But guess what? The girl didn't even really say anything about it for almost a week, I believe. She didn't need to. The video went viral, not just on boxing Twitter, but internationally. It was covered by not only mainstream sports 
media publications, but mainstream media outlets that don't even cover sports. CNN picked it up. Fox picked it up. Dozens of languages around the world, dozens of countries around the world picked that story up to the point where the girl felt compelled, Gloria Allred felt compelled to contact her and they filed a lawsuit that, of course, went nowhere. That story, which, let's be clear, what Kubrat Pulev did was stupid and, and unwarranted. It was an idiotic decision. But what he did was not as bad as what Gervonta Davis did. Both bad, but there are levels, okay? But that video went way more viral internationally, globally, than Gervonta Davis's video did. Why aren't these heroes defending Gervonta Davis, bringing up Sergei Kovalev? Why aren't they bringing up Kubrat Pulev? Why? Because it destroys their idiotic narrative. And all the sheep that keep clicking on their videos and giving these guys money and financing their horrible, shitty lives, that would destroy their confirmation bias. It wouldn't feed it. Kubrat Pulev, suspended, fined, had to take a sensitivity class or what was it, a sexual, uh, sexual assault sensitivity class by the California State Athletic Commission. Has Javante Davis faced any of that? Any of it? The answer is no. There's been zero repercussions. Even the network he fights on, Steven Espinoza, Mr. Woke, hasn't said a goddamn thing. So can it with this shit? Stop trying to make these false equivalencies. Stop trying to say that there's some kind of conspiracy against certain demographics of fighters while other demographics of fighters are protected when there is a case within the last 12 months of a guy who's every bit as Caucasian as Sergei Kovalev getting the riot act, getting it up the ass with no lube because there is a video of it. Stop with this bullshit. And to you guys watching me right now, I love you and support you for watching my channel. If you're subscribed to those channels and you're clicking on them, even if you're doing it to make fun of these guys, stop. You're part of the problem too because you're supporting them. These people are a leech on boxing. They don't create boxing fans. They create fanagers. You want to know who creates the fanagers? It's not guys like me. It's guys like them. They create fans of promoters. They create fans of networks. I'm trying to turn casual boxing fans into diehard boxing fans. I'm the guy that helps drive this sport. I'm one of many. I'm not trying to say I'm the only one. I'm one of many, including people on watching right now, like Gail Falkenthal. I see her on the chat. We're the people who drive this sport. We are who service the diehard fans. We don't create fanagers here. It's those idiots that create this divisive material. Stop feeding them. Unsubscribe and ignore them. All right. That's it for that rant. <clears throat> now, let's get to another one real quick. New York State Athletic Commission. Ivan Redcatch, during the eighth round of his fight with Danny Garcia, bit him on the neck. Had absolutely no bearing on the fight. It was stupid, it was an idiotic move, and he should be punished for it because it was unprofessional. Bottom line. And Ivan Redcatch is a guy with kind of a checkered history, too. So I applaud the New York State Athletic Commission for taking some action here. But these guys suspended him for a year 
find him $10,000, and on top of that, are trying to take his entire purse, $300,000. That is an overreaction, to put it mildly, especially coming from a commission that let Jarrell Big Baby Miller off the hook because technically, sorry guys, I'm losing my voice already. Technically, he wasn't licensed by them, okay? That is not cool. This commission is troubled. Thomas Hauser recently wrote a piece, two-part piece, I think, talking about the New York commission and all the issues they have. Guys, this is not cool. I'm not defending what Ivan Redcatch did. You want to find him ten grand? that's fine. But suspending the dude for a year and trying to take his $300,000 purse when you let Jarrell Big Baby Miller off the hook, and it wasn't that long ago where you completely failed Magomed Abdusalamov, him and his family. There are many instances I could bring up that the New York Athletic Commission has completely butt-fucked. This is a big deal. And I think Ivan Redcatch apparently has a chance to uh, – to appeal this, and I hope that they come to their senses because that's a gross overreaction. Uh, Super chat pledge from Pietro. What's up, brother? He says, Montero always speaks the truth 100. I appreciate that, my man. Oh, Tiffany just brought me water. I need it. Thank you, baby. I see. That's why I'm with her, guys. Find you a good one like that. Oh, man. I needed that water. Oh, I'm so glad Tiffany heard me. I must have been yelling loud if she heard me. Guys, the studio is padded. It's soundproofed, and she's upstairs working, so I must have been yelling pretty loud. I apologize for any of you with ears that I just uh, destroyed. Okay, one last news and notes item. And this is a good news thing, okay? So we had some shitty news to talk about. Let's talk about some positive stuff. Uh, April 25th, Naoya Inoue versus John Riel Casimiro. I like this fight. I like this fight a lot. Japan versus the Philippines. I think this would make a lot of sense in Los Angeles. This has like StubHub or Dignity Health, whatever the hell it's called, written all over it. I love it. And I hope that uh, that's where they put it. I don't think a venue has been determined yet, but that would be awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. That is going to be a great fight. And for Naoya Inouye, he just got... He just went through a difficult murderer's row of opponents in that tournament, right? And what does he do right after the tournament? Soft touch? No. He goes right after this dude who just upset one of the top fighters in the division, Zolani Tete. So, awesome move. I, I just It proves that Inouye has that fighter mentality, and he feels like he's got something to prove. I love it. All right, guys. Uh, let's see here. While I um, get ready to set up the phones here. Uh, I'll begin to review last Thursday's DAZN card. So DAZN in Miami, um, good card, good card indeed. But uh, damn, this thing went way too long. You know, I like the DAZN cards going long. I think that it's a good thing. Hang on, guys. I'm putting in all my pin codes here to get the phone line set up. All right. So, phone lines are opened up. uh, 213-267-7787. So, uh, you guys go ahead and um, call in. Um, 
But like I was saying, I like that the zone cards that start or not. I like that the zone cards that are loaded. I like how there's a bunch of fights on here. I like that some of the younger prospects get eyes on them. I love that. But I didn't I didn't go to bed till after 2 a.m. because I covered that card for Ring TV. I had to post four articles that night. I covered that card uh, deadline for ringtv.com. And, man, these shows just go too damn late. Oh, did you guys hear me dial the pin number? Man, see, this is why I need help, okay? This is why I need help uh, doing this stuff. That's hilarious. All right, well, we already got a caller on here. Uh, 917, you are on the neutral corner. What's up? 917, hello. 917. Oh, a knockdown. He, uh, he or she uh, just dropped. All right, well, call back. Okay, so these matchroom cards... They uh, have to start these things earlier, man. Start it earlier, okay? Uh, one of the coolest things about when I was back on the West Coast and, and covering fights is, like, the doors would open at, like, noon or 1 o'clock. You could go in there and see a whole, whole card. And the last fight, might, the main event might be at 10 p.m., sometimes 11 p.m. if it ran really late. But, uh, actually, 10 p.m. was probably the latest I was ever there. And, uh, man... That was awesome. Why can't we have that on the East Coast? Why can't we start these cards early? It's not like the like early undercard fights are being viewed by that many people, right? It's about the main event. That's what people are tuning in for. And if you have a main event starting at 1 o'clock in the morning, technically on a Friday morning, right? Thursday night, Friday morning, no one's watching that shit. So the uh, zone and match room, you have to do a better job with this stuff. All right, 917, you're back on the neutral corner. What's going on? Hey, how you doing, Michael? How's things? This is Dennis from Florida. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for calling in. Yes, listen, uh, you were just talking about ironic because I was going to ask you about an Inouye question. I have two questions for you. And uh, you just mentioned about that fight, him coming up. Uh, I love Inouye. He's one of my favorite fighters. Great fight last year that you called with Bonilla. But... uh, I want to ask you, what do you think his toughest opponent will be in the future? Uh, It depends on how high he goes up in weight. You know, I think that the the goal right now with top rank, they eventually want to get him to 122, and they want to get him in there against Emmanuel Navarrete. Now, Inoue is a lot faster, a lot more athletic, but Navarrete is a big, strong guy for that division. He's tall. He punches down with leverage, punches and bunches, volume. And uh, I, I think that's going to be a big challenge for Inouye. I slightly favor Inouye in that fight, of course, but I think that's going to be a big challenge. And I think we need to see how he looks in that fight before we can start talking about guys at 126. I think that 126 is probably going to be the ceiling for Inouye. Right, right. Oh, okay, that's good. You know, I was happy that he was signed with top rank. So he's one of my favorites. Real solid guy. But the, my second question is, anything you hear about Pacquiao's future opponents? Have you heard anything about it? It's been a while. Yeah, so with Pacquiao, um, what they wanted to do is have him fight Mikey Garcia, and they wanted Errol Spence to fight Danny Garcia. And the, the goal was to have you know Pacquiao win, Spence win, and then those two fight at the end of this year. I was told that by several people uh, related to not just Pacquiao's camp, but PBC executives told me that 
right to my face. And they said, yeah, you can share this. So that's, that's the plan they wanted to do. Now, Errol Spence, of course, with that car accident, completely messed up that plan. And when that happened, Mikey Garcia kind of ran off to the zone and did this deal real quick. Uh, now he's going to fight Jesse Vargas, right? Because he kind of saw, well, I'm going to be on the sidelines. So he kind of made a business move to go fight Jesse Vargas on the zone. So right now for Manny Pacquiao, uh, there's a few different options. Look, they're seriously considering the Conor McGregor thing. I don't know how you feel about that, but they're seriously considering it. I don't know if it'll happen, but they are considering it. There's also Danny Garcia. I, I hope not. I hope yeah, not, I agree not. with you, brother. I, I, I don't want to see that. I don't, I don't need to see that. that. No way. Okay. Yeah, but, I actually like to see Sean Porter with Pacquiao. I think that would be an exciting, fun fight to watch. You know, I get Pacquiao the edge, but that would be a fun fight to watch. I'm not too keen on Mikey Garcia at 147 yet. Yeah, you know, you know? Sean Porter might fight Terrence Crawford this year. That they're they're talking about that, and both sides are open to it. They're talking about it, so I, I think a, a, a bigger possibility could be Manny Pacquiao and Danny Garcia. There's a couple names that they're floating around, but if that fight ends up happening, if, if look if we get Manny Pacquiao versus Danny Garcia, and then we get Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter, I love it. Those are two really good fights. Those are two really good fights. Yes. And they'd be pay per view. Right. Exactly, exactly. What I have here is I hope that Terrence Crawford gets a good fight. So he's one of my favorites. And uh, I always said these guys would step up and take this guy because that welterweight, because I love Terrence Crawford. He's a nasty, great fighter. And I like people to push him to the limit and make some great fights. And he's getting over that hump now. And I wish that he starts getting these fights. So he deserves it. He well deserves this fight. Even Manny Pacquiao, which I don't really see that. I don't think Manny wants anything to do with Crawford. That would be great in itself, but yeah. Crawford deserves it. I really do think he's in the league in that division, and it's a shame that he's just not mentioned enough. I completely agree with you, and what I find, it's funny, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the show with Demetrius Andrade. A lot of people are saying that he's being ducked, but a lot of the same people talking about that, they're not talking about the fact that Terrence Crawford, who's far more proven in deserving of a big fight, he's being ducked at 147. So I'll talk about that a little yeah, bit later, but yeah. – I got to get to some more calls, man. We got a bunch of people on. Yeah, but thanks thank a you lot. I really appreciate you. I support you. Thank you. Thank you. Call in again, all right? Thank all right, you. Me, Bye-bye. Uh, thank you. Bye. All right, guys. Uh, we got a couple more calls on. Um, before I – guys that are on uh, hold here, just hang out, hang tight. I know you can hear me online, so just hang tight, and we'll get to these other calls in just a second. I want to talk real quickly. And, of course, we'll review the whole DAZN card from Miami. But – uh, Demetrius Andre, TKO9, Luke Keeler. Obviously, look, you guys who follow me on Twitter, you saw what I thought about the fight. I mean, I was, I was tired and I wanted to finish my story so I could go to bed. That fight should have been over in a round or two. I get that Demetrius Andre is not a power puncher and everyone has different styles. Styles make fights. But even a guy who's not a power puncher, if you're an elite pound-for-pound level guy like Demetrius Andre fans claim he is – you should get Luke Keeler out of there. I think he was a 45 to one favorite. Andre was, it was something like that. You should get him out of there in two or three rounds tops. And he dropped him early, but he carried him to the ninth round. And it was a ref stoppage, mercy stoppage. So I want to talk quickly about the hate narrative on Demetrius Andre, because this is another thing that's driving me crazy. And I promise guys that are online, just hang on. I'll get to your calls in just a second. I promise. But 
Let's just break down. And this is another one that I feel is coming down to these demographic lines where people keep bringing up Gennady Golovkin. They keep bringing up Gennady Golovkin and saying, well, he fought Steve Rolls, and now he's going to fight this Polish kid who's not very good, who's his mandatory. You can't diss Demetrius Andrade for fighting Luke Keeler when, when Gennady Golovkin's fighting those guys. Okay, let me, just, let, let me just say a few things, all right? Andrade has been a pro since 2008. That's 12 years. He has 29 professional fights. Triple G by his 12-year mark, had 40 professional fights, including multiple top 10 and a couple top five middleweights. Also, they are at completely different stages of their career. And I'm not sitting here trying to be Mr. Protect Gennady Golovkin. I didn't like the Steve Rolls fight. Those of you who watched my show, you heard me say that was a tough sell. If Gennady Golovkin doesn't fight a top middleweight by the end of this year, I'll be the first guy to talk shit. Believe me. But Andrade and Golovkin are at two different stages of their career. Trying to compare who they're fighting right now is disingenuous. It's apples to oranges. Bottom line is this. Andrade walked away from a fight with Jamal Charlo back in, I want to say 2014, 2015. He walked away because Rock Nation Sports basically said, don't take that fight. We'll give you this suitcase full of money. Walk away from that fight. So Demetrius Andrade walked away from a career-high payday and a breakout potential, breakout statement-making fight against Charlo all those years ago. His career has been shit ever since. That's 100% on him. Now, the Billy Joe Saunders fight fell apart because Billy Joe Saunders cheated. That's not on Andrade, but everything else is, okay? Golovkin never walked away from a fight like that, especially when he was being ducked. Right now, Demetrius Andrade is in the same situation Gennady Golovkin was in about 10 years ago. 2010 and 2011, Golovkin fought on the road. He was in litigation with the German promoters. He wanted out of his contract because the German promoters allowed other fighters like Felix Sturm to duck Golovkin. And the WBA allowed it. Go figure. The WBA allowed it. So Golovkin, because he was in litigation, was not allowed to fight in Germany or America. During all that, he had to go on the road. He fought in like four different countries, I think. Barely covered costs. Barely covered costs during that time. Signs with HBO in 2012. Fought eight times within the span of 25 months. Was not getting seven figures for those fights. Was getting six-figure paydays. Often had to make financial concessions to the opponents to get them in the ring with him. Okay, he took short money. Meanwhile, he had a belt during this time. Now, I get it. It was the regular belt. The only reason he didn't have the WBA super is because Felix Sturm ducked him. But he had a belt at this time, was making six figures, fought eight guys in 25 months. He did not start making seven figure paydays, Gennady Golovkin, until 2015 when he fought Martin Murray. Demetrius Andrade is making much more money fighting guys like Luke Keeler. It is not the same thing. Golovkin went through the gauntlet. He, re- he proved himself. He had a start over in his 30s here in America. And I hear people saying it's not fair because Golovkin has a built-in fan base. There's a demographic benefit. Are, are you shitting me? He came here. He didn't speak English. Gennady Golovkin's dad is Russian. His mother's half Korean. So he's a quarter Korean, half Russian dude, born in Kazakhstan, whose career started in Germany. 
There's no demographic for that here in America. And he moved to Los Angeles, which is predominantly Mexican-American, okay? Mexicans of every race, but Mexican heritage. So he had no demographic. He had to build it from the ground up. He eventually got the big fights with Canelo and Jacobs and now recently Derevyanchenko. So if he wants a, a, a softer touch in between, he's kind of earned that. Remember Miguel Cotto when he fought everybody, won some, lost some, but toward the twilight of his career when Gennady Golovkin became his mandatory when he beat Marco Antonio Rubio? Cotto said, you know what? I'm going to give you half a million dollars and not fight you because you're going to beat the shit out of me, and I'm going to go fight Canelo Alvarez for a hell of a lot more money And he's a lot easier to beat right now. What does it say that Miguel Cotto is willing to give this dude half a million bucks and go fight Canelo? It shows you how feared Golovkin was at the time. I don't think Andre is quite that feared right now. But Andre should be doing what Golovkin did in those years. Get busy. Maybe he's not going to knock everybody out in the third or fourth round, but he should fight eight times in 25 months. He should make financial concessions to get these guys in the ring. He should take short money if that's what it takes to get busy, get in the ring, and build a brand. That's what Golovkin did. And now Golovkin's in the position where Miguel Cotto was five years ago or whatever it was. And people kind of understood why Cotto would rather fight Canelo for a hell of a lot more money and not fight Golovkin at that time. People didn't really give Miguel Cotto that much shit. It should be the same thing for Golovkin right now. He's proven himself. He's at a different stage of his career. Andre's in a stage of his career now where he should be building. One day he'll get there. If he's as good as all you guys say he is, he'll get there. And he'll be one of those guys that can dictate his own terms. He ain't right now, and there's a lot of delusion in your mind. I saw a super chat pledge from CJ Duncan. What's up, brother? He says, what's good, Montero? Tiff, appreciate the effort. We appreciate you, CJ. We appreciate you, my man. All right, let's, uh, let's get back to the calls here. I saw a couple of you guys drop. Just call back in, man. Sorry I had to go on a rant there about Andre. All right, uh, 626, you are on the neutral corner. What is up? What's up, Mike? What's up? It's Barrios. Barrios. What's up, my man? I thought that was you. I thought I recognized the number. What's going on, dude? How's it going, man? Oh, I'm heated tonight, man. I'm heated tonight. I know, man. Usa. I know. I got these bright <laughs> lights shining on my face, and I'm sitting here screaming, so my face is all red. Whew, I need some air conditioning in here, man. What's going on? What you got for the show, man? No, man. Uh, I just called in to say what's up, man. I don't really have a ton of questions. Just uh, figured I'd call in to see how you guys are doing. Uh, I haven't caught the last couple of shows. I sleep yeah, during been, the day, so you've been you know, crazy busy, man. You've been like yeah. sleeping during the yeah. show. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Hey, you got to make that money. Yeah. What so you think you, about Andre, you man? That card. What you think about Andre, dude? So, so look, apparently. Eddie Hearn offered Jamal uh, Charlo $7 million. That'd be a career-high payday to fight Demetrius Andrade, and Charlo hasn't returned the call. Now, to me, that sounds like a duck because Charlo can't make $7 million with anybody else. Meanwhile, 
Canelo and Golovkin can make tons more money fighting other guys than Andre. That's not necessarily a duck. Maybe it's an avoid, but not a duck. What do you feel about this, man? Well, well, you know, it's just the same old thing. It's the, I guess, the the Mayweather mentality. You got to make all that money, right? Yeah. Uh, the the lowest uh, risk for the most amount of money, and these dudes cherish their O's. I don't know why. Like Danny Roman on that card had what he now has three losses or something like that, and you go, that dude. guy puts up great great fights. Dude, that's um, such a great example, man. I, I mean, Daniel Roman, right? Everyone's saying, don't take this fight with Akhmedialev. Don't take this fight. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm the champion. I'm going to take this fight. I want to prove I'm the best. And it was a hell of a fight. It was, a gr- it was the best fight of the year so far. And so what if he came up short? Did Danny Roman lose any respect in that loss? Hell no. He gained respect. His stock went up. So I, we need more Daniel Romans in the world. In my opinion, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Uh, these guys, they, they, there, there should be more guys like like Danny Roman. I mean, there is a lot of guys, but they're not getting getting most of the exposure. They're not making the money, so people don't care. I mean, people these days, all they care about is who's making the most money, who's so like weird, where they're fighting, yeah, what it, networks. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm a boxing fan. I just want to see good fights. I don't care where they're fighting. I don't care who they're fighting for. It doesn't really matter. I'm the same way, man. Uh, That's why we get along. uh, And, guys, for those of you watching, Michael Barrios here on the line, he's he's been on board with the channel since the start, man. I remember we met at uh, Salido Vargas, right? That's I mean, you know, we had talked before, I think, online or whatever, but we met, I think, at that fight the first time, right? Was it Salido Vargas? Yeah. yeah, that was the fight, like the first fight after uh, Ali died. Yeah, that's and right. And they did that tribute oh. for him and stuff there. Dude, what a night that was. And man. then, yeah, honestly, that's probably the, like, as far as like live atmosphere and stuff like that, that's probably the best fight I've ever been to. It's up there for me, man. That was an amazing experience. Bro, tell Stella I said what's up, man, and um, call back again, bro. I got I to gotta get to these other calls, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, well, uh, have a good time. Uh, thanks for doing all the shows and tell Tiff I said what's up. I will, brother. Have a good one, man. All right, Matt. All right. Later. All right, guys. We got several Super Chat pledges here I got to get to. Chris S. with the Super Chat pledge. Dude, thank you so much. Uh, he says, great work, Mike. In all fairness, prize fighting. Koto has a right to go for the biggest purse. Exactly. That's smart business, not ducking. Ducking is when the fighter avoids the bigger payday and taking an easier challenge for less. Chris S., that is exactly right. Right now, Golovkin, Canelo, they can make more money, not just with each other, but guys like Murata, several guys at 168. Uh, For Golovkin, he could do a rematch with Jacobs, right? There's several choices they have that bring them more money than Andre does, and not just the money but also more recognition beating beating let's say uh Rialdo Murata now maybe he's not seen as as good of a fighter by boxing diehards as as Demetrius Andrade but he's actually the more proven middleweight if you look at who Murata's fought and beat at middleweight versus Andrade Murata's actually more proven and Murata is a much bigger star so that would be a massive brand building type of thing for either Golovkin or Canelo. So 
They're not ducking Andre. You think these dudes fought each other. They fought Daniel Jacobs. Uh, Golovkin recently fought Derevyanchenko. Do you really think they're scared of Andre people? They're not. There's a difference between looking the other way, going in a different direction, avoiding whatever you want to call it, and flat-out ducking. To Chris S.'s point, Jamal Charlo turning down a career-high payday several times over. He's never made anywhere near $7 million to fight Demetrius Andre when he has no other options. There's no one else for him to fight except, I guess, Eubank, and that's not going to bring him $7 million. But guess what's going to happen now? And this is why PBC messes things up a lot. They're not the only ones, but this is what they do. They're telling Charlo, don't take that $7 million. We'll pay you that $7 million. We'll send you over to the UK to fight Eubank. They're going to lose money on that fight. And that's just how this thing works. It happens over and over. Look at Deontay Wilder and the whole DAZN deal. It's how this thing works, guys. I'm telling you right now. Super Chat Pledge from Deed3440 says, Andre definitely needs to fight three times per year. Thank you so much, Deed, and agreed. He should be fighting. Look, he just fought. He just fought, what, the last day of January? He could fight again in April. He could fight again in September. He could fight again in December. If he's fighting the Luke Keelers of the world, fight four times a year. If he's going to step up his opposition, okay. Then you need longer camps. You need to train and prepare more. Then maybe it's twice a year. But, dude, these things are not all created equal. If you're fighting Luke Keeler, get in there and fight four times a year. And we got a super chat pledge from another one from Pietro S. Thank, <coughs> thank you. I'm losing my voice tonight. He says Andre is overrated. I tend to agree. <coughs> he is very, very skilled, but he looks very sloppy at times. Very sloppy. Man, I screamed too much at the beginning of the show, guys. I am freaking losing my voice. Let's go back to the calls. Uh, 702, you are on the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. What's going on? Montero, what's up? It's CJ, man. Well, CJ, what's up, man? How you doing? Are you Sorry, outside? I'm my walk-in. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get to somewhere where it isn't as windy. It's the rare time in Vegas where we get some kind of decent weather. Hopefully, you can hear me a little better now. Yeah, man. yeah, I can hear you now. <laughs> I figured you're outside. What's going yeah. on, man? I'm just getting my walk in since I still can't get on a plane, but, you know, it's cool to be able to catch you live and be able to get on to the show real quick. So, I mean, I saw that you were starting to get riled up about this whole Andre and then just the, the fact that they're not being able to make fights for this guy. The point that I wanted to call in on was just what you were talking about with the the Andre getting offered with the Charlo money. You got to – I'm going to be funny when I say it, though. You got to thank Al Heyman for that because as much as – He's, he's given these bad bags to these guys for fighting somewhere else. You know, if you go back to like that J-Rock um, vignette they did before the Rosario loss, you know, he was looking at a property that he was splitting from a main house to a duplex, and he even put in there, he's like, you know, I want to thank Al Heyman because, you know, Al kind of put me into real estate, this, that, and the third. You also got to think, if you're getting your fighters into real estate, what can you do? You can move money. So even though the zone and Eddie Hearn is willing to offer Charlo $7 million on paper, you know, like you said, you can take the Dennis Hogan fight for three and a half and then magically enough put some of that other into different properties and different vessels. And these guys really think that they don't want to fight multiple times a year or larger purses because they think the tax man is going to get more, which that's just ass backward thinking. But not all the fighters are the smartest ones in, in the game to begin with. True. And it just it makes for bad business because when they do want to actually be great, you know, these advances in this side door money, that's what they hold over their neck when they want to actually go out and tell their promoter or quote their advisor. I don't want people in the media thinking that I'm ducking Andre and I can beat Andre. I want that fight. They hold that back over. 
And it's just, it makes it a tough situation, and the people that lose out the most are the fans. I agree, man. That's an outstanding point. You put it better than I ever could. You're just more articulate than me. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't service the fan, okay? But for the fighter, it depends on what your goal is. Some fighters, that's all they really want to do. They want to make a little bit of money, set themselves up. And if that's their goal, then that's servicing them. That, that's a good business plan for them. But if your goal is to have some sort of greatness and, and long-term success in this business, I, mean, I just feel how, – how many times have we seen these guys look so rusty in fights because they fight once a year or when they finally step up, they get completely crushed and embarrassed? We've seen it multiple times, mm-hmm. man. I, I'm telling you right now, I, I'm big on Terrence Crawford. You know that, right? But I, I just I just have a feeling when Terrence Crawford fights Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, if he fought any of those guys, I don't think he just beats them. I think he decisively beats them, and that would really hurt the PBC brand with those welterweights. I think they all need to keep kind of fighting each other. There's a reason Manny Pacquiao avoided that dude when they were with the same promoter. There's a reason Pacquiao didn't want right. into him. You know what I'm saying? Yep, and you know, even to that point where there were the PBC shills that you know get on the different media and blog posts talking about that Sean Porter is considering trying to take a fight against Terrence Crawford. There's no value in the PBC pushing Sean Porter over to that side of the house now at this point. And the worst part about it is that they did decide to give Sean uh, basically we appreciate your hard effort for fighting everybody in our round robin. The first thing that the PB Shields will say, well, you know, Earl took him out when he was still fresher right. and he looked more dominant. So he's not going to get the credit off of it. There's no real value in Al pushing that chess piece across the board to give to top rank. You know, the biggest thing that, that they can do on the top rank side when it comes to Bud is just keep him as busy as they can. Shit, even if that means him taking that 154 fight on a one-off, Canelo just got away with it and getting a bag of money from fighting his own way doing it that way. So, you know, just keep Terrence as much as you can in the limelight, and eventually these guys are going to want to jump ship, or one of them is going to end up cracking and finally talking about the money that they have been getting. And then that'll deal with a whole bit different part of legislative issues because nobody still has answered that question, what happened to that $550 million from Waddell and Reed when the PBC <laughs> first took off? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of, that kind of just uh... – that kind of just went quiet, didn't it? Uh, yeah, that, that's a lot of money to just kind of disappear. But you talked about real yeah, estate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. But, yeah, man. Wow. That's why I, I, I think I'm aiming all the time, too, in that case, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, dude, great call, man. Uh, enjoy your walk. <laughs> I got to get back to the show. <laughs> but uh, tell, tell the old lady I said what's up. You keep up the good work. You too, man. You too. I call will. again. All right. all right, now be with it. All right, now. Later. Man, what a great call from CJ. Um, he again, he's just he's just way more articulate and a smarter guy than me, so he knows how to put the words together much better than I ever could. But wow, what a great call, man! All right, guys, uh, back to Thursday in Miami, real quick here. Uh, so I, you know, I, I briefly touched on Akhmadiyev split decision win over Daniel Roman. I wanted to go back to that fight. He's now eight and zero, Uzbekistan native, southpaw. Now fights out of Cali has the unified IBF and WBA uh, super bantamweight titles. This was an interesting fight, very good fight, two completely different styles. And I feel that the DAZN commentary crew had an off night, a really, really off night, because I feel like Chris Mannix, I can't remember what his score was. If any of you guys remember, let me know. But him and Sergio Martinez were giving so much credit to Akhmadiyev and not enough credit to Roman. And I see this happening more and more and more. So um, 
Merjan Akhmanilev, who they're calling MJ. I'm just going to call him MJ because it's a hell of a lot easier. He does a lot of, to use a football term, a lot of dink and dunk, okay, where he's in and he's out, side to side, in, out. Very flashy, you know, kind of movements, right? And they talked about his dancing background and all this kind of stuff. He's in and out, in and out. The thing is, it's flashy, it looks cool, but he's in and it's bop, bop, it's two slaps and he's out. He's back in, bop, bop, two slaps, he's out. He's in, bop, slap, and he's out. That worked for the first three, four rounds. You could make an argument that he swept. I, I thought he won three of the first four rounds. Okay, you can make that argument. But Danny Roman started to catch on in the middle rounds. He started to time that shit, and he started to find a home for the uppercut on the inside. And for the slower, quote-unquote, lesser athletic guy to be landing lead uppercuts and counter uppercuts on the inside, that shows a huge flaw in Akhmadilev's game. And right now in boxing, we see this a lot, where there's one guy kind of doing that dink and dunk stuff, right, where he's kind of fighting in spurts. If you take the whole three minutes of a round, there's probably 60 to 90 seconds of it he's actually fighting. The other 90 to 120 seconds, he's kind of just moving, just kind of moving. And Tyson Fury does this a lot, where it's a lot of fainting and jittering. You know, he looks like a, a 280-pound Michael J. Fox in there, right? A bald Michael J. Fox, just jitter, 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 right? And then a jab, 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 jitter, 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 slap. That looks good, and it's effective in a lot of ways. But what if the opponent is coming forward and consistently working, consistently pumping out a jab, consistently applying pressure, and also going to the body? Sergio Martinez kept saying over and over, I think it was Sergio. I, I can't remember who the other guys were on the t- broadcast team. But Sergio kept saying, Roman's avoiding the body attack. He's abandoning the body attack. That's absolute bullshit. CompuBox gave him credit for landing 62 body punches, okay? That's five per round. Now, could he have done more than that? Yeah, but he landed at more than twice the amount of body punches that Akhmadilev did. Those are power punches, And you know what they do to movers like MJ? They slow them down. They slow them down. So it was the proper right thing to do for Roman. Now, I have no problem with MJ getting the decision. I think that uh, he he edged it. Seven rounds to five for MJ is fine. If you had this fight to draw or even scored it 115-113 for Roman, that's fine. Close fight. I feel the Uzbek, he barely edged it. But... The first half of this fight was a clear, competitive, but a clear win for MJ. The second half of this fight, I think Danny Roman won four rounds to two. I really, really do. So if they have a rematch, which Danny Roman, Daniel Roman wants, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there saying that, man, Akhmadilev is just going to kill him now. I don't agree with that because, again, go back and watch that fight again. Look at the first half of the fight, the second half of the fight. Roman found some things. In between those little dink and dunk movements that MJ MJ made, man, Roman had some nice uppercuts on the inside. He got some really good work done. And he had a short camp for this fight. He was coming off an injury. I'm telling you guys right now, if they do a rematch, make sure you watch that shit live. Because especially the last three, four rounds of that fight, Daniel Roman found something that he could take into that rematch. I'm telling you right now, I'm calling it right now. If they do a rematch, an immediate rematch, they go right into it next. I think Roman wins. 
And I think it's another split decision kind of win. And I think it could set up a third fight. And you know what? I'm all for it because this was a damn good fight. One more thing about DAZN's commentary, who kept talking about um, – how were they wording it? They were saying um, – I think Chris Mannix was saying that, you know um, – oh, no, they were saying Daniel Roman's trainer did not want him to take this fight with Ahmed Ayalev. Again, coming off an injury, you know, so there's, there's some rust there and everything else. And they were almost agreeing with that sentiment. That's stupid. The narrative should have been props to Daniel Roman for taking this fight. We need more of him in boxing. We need more Daniel Romans. Not, and they beat this home. They said it like a dozen times. He shouldn't have taken this fight. You know, his team didn't want to take this fight. Many boxing insiders thought he wouldn't take this fight. Uh, he shouldn't have taken the fight. Shut up. It should be the reverse. You should be saying, I'm glad this guy took this fight. We could use more of this in boxing. Also, I'm glad Akhmadilev, who only had seven pro fights, stepped up and fought a unified champion. Also, I'm glad they both fought their balls off and were professionals at the end of it and gave each other compliments and said they'd be down for a rematch. How about that being the narrative? How about that? Some of these commentary guys, man. I'm, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm sick of being Mr. Nice Guy. I can't be the only one talking about this shit. Some of my peers watching this, listening to this, step up. Talk about this shit. I'm, I'm sick of it, man. All right. Also on this card, Joseph Diaz Jr. wins a unanimous decision over Tevin Farmer, wins his IBF 130-pound title. I'm not surprised. I told you guys that's what I thought was going to happen. And what was the reason? I can't believe I'm the only one who's bringing this up. I haven't heard any other podcast or show, or certainly the commentary career at the zone didn't bring it up. <laughs> that didn't surprise me. The difference in this fight was that Joseph Diaz, beyond, beyond all the amateur experience, and also he fought on some Canelo undercards, and that one, I think when Canelo fought Liam Smith in Dallas, there was like 50,000 people. He's got experience in front of big crowds, fighting on the road back in the amateurs. He fought in the Olympics, right? This guy's been around. But 12 rounds with Gary Russell Jr., the best featherweight in the world. Those 12 rounds with Gary Russell Jr., even though it was a loss, was better than anything Tevin Farmer's ever done in his entire boxing career. Yeah, I'm saying it. I'm not saying it to be a dick to Tevin Farmer. Amazing story. Amazing strength and will from this young man to come back from what he came back from. I'm a Tevin Farmer fan as a human being. He is a credit to the human race. However, as a boxer, he had not been in the ring with anyone on the level of Joseph Diaz Jr. to prepare him for this fight. And it showed. The scorecards were way too close. I think the scores are like 116, 115, 113, something like that. This was a nine rounds to three, ten rounds to two kind of fight. This was a domination by a guy with a massive gash over his eye in Joseph Diaz Jr. So, awesome performance by him. Wasn't at all surprised. I can't believe, maybe he, was he the favorite? No, he wasn't the favorite. I can't believe Tevin Farmer was the betting favorite going into this fight. Looking back, hindsight 2020. Now, there's a rematch clause with this one. And let me tell you something. They do a rematch, Joseph Diaz Jr. is going to win more decisively in the rematch. Bank it. All right, we got another call. Let's get to it real quick as I continue losing my voice here. 
I'm just going into that, man. I'm just sick of being Mr. Nice Guy, all right? 305, you are on the neutral corner. What's going on? Hey, Mike, how are you? It's Chris from Miami. Chris from Miami. What's up, man? Did you go to the show uh, Thursday night? With all the shakeup going, Canelo, the weight, Golovkin, who do you see as being champion of middleweight and super middleweight this time next year? Um, hmm. Man, it's, it's hard to say because we don't know what Canelo is going to do quite yet. But I think just based on what we know right now, I think that uh, I would say Canelo is going to be the champ at 160. Um, I, I do believe that we're going to get that third fight between Canelo and Golovkin, and I have to favor Canelo. So I think he's going to be the guy at 160. Now, 168, it's interesting because um, you, you've got Caleb Plant and you've got uh, Benavidez, right? You've got a couple guys there with the PBC. Those guys need to fight each other, right? And if we get a unification fight at some point this year, if two of the PBC super welterweight or super middleweights fight each other, the winner might not be seen as like the, the undisputed champion, but they will be the champion of that division. They'll be the top guy because they'll be a unified champ. So, you know, if it's between Caleb Plant and Benavidez, I think Plant might be able to score a decision win there. Then again, uh, Benavidez has the power to hurt him. I'd have to think about that matchup a little more. But I think that would be like the top guy in the division. Callum Smith, technically speaking, I think is the lineal champion right now. I don't know how much longer he's going to be at 168. I just don't. And he's also kind of waiting for a Canelo Alvarez fight too. So there's just kind of too many possibilities. But based on what we see right now, based on what's going on right now, that's how I see it. Cool, man. Well, thanks and keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, Chris. Hey, Matt. Hey, are you still there? I wanted to ask you, uh, did you yeah. go to did you go to the yeah. card in Miami Thursday night since you're down there? I didn't get a chance to go in Miami. Okay. I was so busy with work okay. and people in town due to the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. So I had a lot of uh, clients and friends in town that I had to see, and it just there was it was impossible this week. Understandable, brother. Well, hey, man, call back into the show again. All right, I appreciate it, man. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. All right, thanks. All right, guys. Uh, back to Thursday night. Oh wait, I think we got uh, we got another super chat here. Let me check the YouTube chat real quick. We got another super chat from Pietro. Thank you so much, my man. He says, you think Canelo will be able to go back to 160? Look, I talked to Eddie Reynoso, his trainer, um, in December, I think it was, for a piece I did for the Ring Magazine for him winning trainer of the year. And um, he told me straight up, you know, he said, with a full camp and, you know, full preparation, we can make 160 pounds. That's what they say. So, I'm going to take him at his word. We shall see. I, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. You know, I, I think that it's very possible Canelo and Golovkin, maybe they fight at like 162 or something. Who knows? But I hope if that third fight happens, it is at 160. That actually would help make it a little more competitive. If it's at 164 or 168, that benefits Canelo greatly. But they say they can make 160. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and believe them. All right, also Thursday night, guys, Jake Paul, TKO win, TKO one win over Anson Gibb, who should never box again, <laughs> wants to fight 
KSI next. And KSI was there in the ring, and they had this little shit-talking thing that was perfectly timed at, like, 60 seconds. So you could take that and put it on Instagram. Did anyone else notice that? The little jibber-jab they were doing back and forth in the ring was perfectly timed for TikTok and, and Instagram and all of them. I thought, you know, these guys know what they're doing. They know what <laughs> Piglet Smith just asked, is Gib the GOAT? You know what? Move over Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Gib is the official GOAT. He is the, all right. Seriously, though, I saw some people, some boxing media people, bashing YouTuber fights, quote unquote. And you guys know how I feel about them. They're not going to ruin boxing. They're not going to save boxing. I don't think any of these fans watching these fights are going to become diehard boxing fans. They are, they are teeny bopper chicks that like Paul Logan's haircut, you know, and watch him and say, oh, my God, have pictures of him on their wall and shit. That, that's who's watching this shit. Gail Falkenthal says I'm triggering her about Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. You're right, Gail. I take that back. Junior is the goat here, now, and forever. <laughs> but back to the YouTuber stuff. I, look, I, that fight, at least Paul knocked out this, this little dude that was hopping around like a bunny. He looked like some weird little bunny with boxing gloves on. He knocked him out, and it was entertaining. It was way more entertaining than the main event. Jake Paul upstaged Demetrius Andrade, and his opponent – wasn't that much worse than Andre's. <laughs> okay, you know what? I take that back. That was disrespectful to Luke Keeler. Luke Keeler would beat the shit out of Jake Paul, KSI, Logan Paul, and Anson Gibb all in the same ring at the same time. I take that back. That was a mistake. Shouldn't have said it. However, I saw several media guys bashing these YouTuber fights, saying, man, fuck the zone. I, I Man, th- this is bullshit, right? And then you go on some of these guys' YouTube channels, and guess what? There's interviews with them and the YouTube fighters. This goes back to what I was saying at the very top of the show of people profiting off of Kobe Bryant's death. Boxing people profiting off of Kobe Bryant's death last week. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw me post one tweet about it, and it was all nine names in alphabetical order. I did not put Kobe Bryant's name first. I put the names respectfully in alphabetical order. That was my tribute to all nine human beings who are all equally deserving of our recognition and sympathy, as well as their families. All of them on one tweet and tweeted it. Didn't make no videos about it, right? But a bunch of people did that. And the same people, a lot of the same people bashing the shit out of these YouTube fights are, have videos on their channel interviewing the fighters, previewing the fight, covering the weigh-in, covering the public workouts. So in other words, you profit off this shit just like Uncle Eddie's doing, just like Crazy Eddie. You're profiting the same way, and then you're talking shit to your boxing purist followers on Twitter to make yourself look like a hero. Gail Falkenthal in the chat just said it best. Clickbait hoes. You're nothing more than clickbait hoes. And some of you will say, well, Montero, didn't you cover the event for Ring TV and write an article? Yeah, I did. I wrote an article about the damn fight and posted it on Ring TV. Just like three of the other four fights on that 8,000-hour-long card that didn't end until next Friday. Yes, I did. I didn't put videos on my channel interviewing the fighters, and you didn't see me on Twitter bashing the shit out of the fight. I actually 
gave Jake Paul some compliments because at least he got him out of there and around. I also think Jake Paul's better than his brother Logan Paul. I actually think he has a little more potential and just some athletic mean streak nastiness in him that will – I think he's going to beat that KSI dude. Yeah, I said it. He's going to beat that KSI dude. Although KSI definitely got some dog in him, though. KSI can land one of those looping shots. Hey, man, you know what? They're obviously going to do that fight again. And a lot of you out there talking shit and you're so upset. This is, oh, I'm not going to subscribe to the zone no more. You're going to be the same motherfuckers interviewing these guys, hashtagging the shit out of it. You know, all these different tags. So the TD boppers, when they do the little searches, your video comes up so you can make that money while you're talking shit. That means you're a piece of shit. Not as bad as the race baiter guys, though, with the Gervonta Davis, Sergey Kovalev shit. Not that bad, all right? I don't want you to die of syphilis and rotten hell. I want those people to. Not you. You're just an asshole. All right, also on this fight, Romer, Alexis, and Gulo. Split decision win over Anthony Sims Jr. Man, am I disappointed in Anthony Sims Jr. I am so disappointed in this kid because he has so much potential. I thought... He was going to win that fight, obviously. And he was a prospect I was really keeping an eye on. Looks the part, got skills, got good amateur experience. He just went to sleep. He was like, did he take Ambien before this fight? What the hell was he doing? He was sleepwalking in there. His corner was bitching at him, right? He just didn't fight. The crowd was booing. It's one thing if the crowd's booing. But his corner was like, dude, wake up. You're losing the fight. Get active. Go. And he just stopped. I will say this, okay? I can't say too much about it. When I was in Chicago uh, in October covering um, that Usyk card, and I saw Anthony Sims Jr. fighting, obviously, right? He was on that card. The night before the fights, after the weigh-in, I saw some stuff from Anthony Sims Jr. that concerned me. He was doing something a fighter should not be doing the night before a fight. It was totally legal, okay? So I don't want you guys thinking it had anything to do with performance enhancing drugs or nothing like that. What he was doing was legal. He's, he's, over, he's over 21, but he shouldn't have been doing it. <clears throat> I think you guys know where I'm going. He shouldn't have been doing it the night before a fight. I saw something and just took a mental note and said, ooh, that's something to keep an eye on. So I don't know what to think about him going forward. That's that. All right, Saturday, February 1st. PBC on FS1, Biloxi, Mississippi, your Dennis Ugas scores a seventh-round stoppage win over Mike Dallas, whose corner stepped in and stopped it. Good stoppage by the corner. Dallas wasn't going to win this damn fight. But the upset special on the undercard was a lot of fun. Clay Collard out of the boxing hotbed of Utah. So many fighters out of Utah. He scored a TKO2 win over Raymond Guajardo out of San Antonio. So far, this is the upset of the year. I know it sounds crazy. There's going to be far greater upsets. But on paper, this is the upset of the year. It's the round of the year. Round one had, I think, three knockdowns. Both guys were down. And here's the thing, guys. You look at this fight coming in, and again, we'll go to the divisive demographic stuff. You could tell who the opponent was. You could tell who the a side was right it was pretty obvious just by looking at these guys looking at their records looking where they're from so this this guy out of utah who they brought in there when you actually look at his record his combined the, the combined 
record of his opponents coming into this fight was 59 and 3. Collard, Clay Collard's opponents, 59 and 3 coming into the ring Saturday night. The combined records of Guajardo's opponents, 9, 8, and 3. So when you read between the lines right there, you can see why Clay Collard won. Now, Scott Brown in the chat just said, MMA fighters can box. A little bit, but I got to say, I saw some people on Twitter, including some people in the boxing media who love shitting on boxers and, and talking about how great MMA fighters are. I don't understand if, why you're doing that if you're in the boxing media. I see that a lot. I'm frustrated with something boxing does and wish they'd take a page from UFC in certain regards. But I just see a lot of, I don't know. I saw some people tweeting stuff like, look at this, an MMA fighter whooped a boxer's ass. This is just like when Holly Holm killed Ronda Rousey. Um, no. This is every bit the false equivalency as what I talked about at the front of the show with this domestic abuse stuff with Gervonta Davis, Sergey Kovalev, Marcus Brown, uh, Kubrat Pulev. By the way, back to that stuff. When Kubrat Pulev was going through all that trouble, where were all these heroes saying, man, well, well what about Floyd Mayweather? What about Marcus Brown? They weren't saying that back then. I don't know why, but they just weren't. But this is a false equivalency. Again, look at their boxing records, and you can see that the opponents, the experience coming in, Clay Collard had a few losses, but it didn't matter. The guys he fought were 59-3. and The guys... Guajardo fought 5-0 and as a fighter, but the guys he fought were 9-8-3. and I see this all the time. Me and Lou DiBello were joking back and forth on Twitter like a month or so ago because there's this highly ranked heavyweight, and Lou was talking about how shitty this guy's opponents were. And I was going, man, I'd probably beat most of this guy's opponents. And he goes, fuck that, Mike. You'd beat this guy. And he was talking about a guy right now who's ranked in the top 10. I think it's the B.A., but if you look at this dude's opponents, they're terrible. So, guys, you have to look beyond the O. You have to look beyond the undefeated, the O in the record. You have to look at what's behind that, the gray area, right, the fine print, the business behind the business, whatever you want to say, whatever cliche phrase I can come up with. That was three of them for you. <laughs> you have to look at that because that's what tells you the story sometimes, not 5-0 and o versus I think Collar was like what? eight and two or six and two or something. And then you see, oh, this guy's an MMA fighter part-time. He's from Utah. Look at him. He looks like a truck driver, right? He looks like he works at Meineke and flips tires for a living. That's what people were thinking on TV. Oh, this, this kid from Texas is going to light his ass up. And then what happens? People act surprised. Always look beyond the O. Look what's behind the O. All right, we're going to take one last call, and then we're going to go, guys, because we've been going long tonight. 604, you're on the neutral corner. Last call of the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? This is the Captain Hook from Canada. Oh, Captain Hook Chronicles on the line. What's up, my man? How you doing? Uh, so nice to speak with you. Uh, so first of all, sorry for my English. If uh, it's not good, guys. But uh, so happy to speak with you. I, I have a question for you. Oh, what can be the future of Ugas? He's really, I'm really impressed by him, but knowing he's uh, in the PBC roster, I, I cannot see him uh, fighting a big name from PBC. 
What do you think? Yeah, you know, Ugas, so with the PBC, it seems that they make um, decisions about which guys they're going to promote as their A-list fighters, their top fighters, and then which guys they're going to use as opponents. And it seems that a decision has been made that Ugas is going to be the opponent. And you see that starting to happen with Sean Porter right now. That happened with Jamel Herring when he was at PBC. He was actually fighting at 135, and he asked them, could I move down to 130? And they said, no, we want, to, we want you to fight our other guys at 135. They were using him to build up guys at 135. He left and went with top rank. They dropped him down to 130. Now he's a world champion. I actually think Ugas would do better with somebody like top rank. Of course, you get a fight with Bud Crawford right away. But what's what's going to happen with him at PBC is he's going to kind of be recycled, man. He's going to fight, and I like Ugas. I like him a lot. He, I think it's very possible he beat Sean Porter when they fought last year. That was a close fight. But does he get a rematch with Sean Porter? I don't know. Sean Porter might fight Terrence Crawford. Maybe he gets a rematch with him. Uh, maybe uh, maybe it's Lippinets. Oh, Molly Whoop on the chat just said he's like Sergey Lippinets. That's a good point. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's Danny Garcia, you know, but Danny Garcia wants a pay-per-view fight. So I don't know, man, who's, who's yeah. going to fight. He's just going to be one of those guys that's used as an opponent. Maybe he's the first fight back for Errol Spence. You know, it could be something like that. Well, yeah, it's very just... dangerous for, for, for a comeback fight, uh, fighting guess It's really dangerous. I agree. That would be very, very dangerous. And, you know, according to Errol Spence, when he comes back, he wants to fight a real guy. He doesn't want to come back and fight a tune-up. I think Ugas would be the perfect fight for that. You know, I think put that on regular Fox, you know, maybe put it on in Dallas where he's fought before, and let's see, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think Ugas would have a very good chance in that fight. The one thing that hurts Ugas is he doesn't have game-changing power. You know, he doesn't have the power to change a fight with one punch. And that's going to hurt him yeah. against explosive guys like Spence. Yeah. Well, yo, man, thank you for yeah, calling so, in, so, brother. Oh, do you got another question? Yeah, Go ahead. and keep up the good work. Okay. Thank, right. thank you so much, Mike. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Have a great night, man. All right, Captain Hook Chronicles. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And we got one more super chat pledge from Jason82. He said, did Floyd Mayweather fight any great fighters in their prime? That's a great question. Thank you for the super chat. Um, You know, at a certain point, once Floyd, you know, after the Castillo fights, he was just a different guy. And he he managed his career differently. I, I think Ricky Hatton was in his prime, but he made Ricky Hatton move up in weight. That wasn't Ricky Hatton's best weight. Manny Pacquiao fought Ricky Hatton at his best weight, but Ricky Hatton was certainly still in his physical prime. I mean, to really look at Floyd's resume as like where it was, where he was really, really good, you got to go back to when he was at 130, 135. When you beat guys like Corrales, he beat guys like Castillo. Um, those were good, good wins considering where they were at in their career. 140 and above, it was more of selective. Um, opportunistic matchmaking but great fighters in their absolute prime well what great fighters did he fight shane mosley 
not in his prime. Oscar De La Hoya, not in his prime. Uh, Manny Pacquiao, not in his prime. Who else? Who am I missing here, guys? I'm missing some names here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he ever fought a really great fighter at their absolute physical peak. Uh, Lobitos is saying Zab Judah. I wouldn't consider Zab Judah a great fighter. He was a good fighter, a really good fighter, but uh, he probably was still in his physical prime. But I don't know if I classify him as great. But um, Larry Merchant in the chat says Canelo. Canelo became a great fighter, but he was not a great fighter at the time that they fought. He was still um, what I would call a baby contender. So who said uh, boxing the champ says Conor McGregor? Oh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, Pietro says Gotti. Look, I loved Arturo Gotti. Great action fighter, but in terms of pound for pound level, you know, good fighter, good quality prize fighter. But I wouldn't say he was great. He wasn't up there with guys like Oscar De La Hoya, Shane Mosley at their absolute best. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, man, best fighter in their absolute prime probably would be Judah Hatton, someone like that. And, you know, again, he fought Judah coming off a loss to Carlos Baldemir. He made Ricky Hatton move up in weight. So as great as Floyd was, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Jason82 says, Cotto. Miguel Cotto, I think, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he was a great fighter. Not all-time great, you know, but damn good. Damn good fighter. Wasn't at his best, and it was above his best weight. So that's just how Floyd's resume was. But look, we can really break down and nitpick any resume in the history of boxing. You really, really can. All right, guys, that is it for tonight, man. What a great show. I'm going to get so much shit for some of the things I said on this show. I'm going to need you guys to make sure that you're subscribed and (laughs) following me and spread the word about the show, all right? Um, We'll do it again Thursday night. I'm going to try to get my voice back. And uh, call it Thursday, guys. Awesome show, all right? I'll see you at the fights.